This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Coming up next, conversations on human rights with Speak Up, Korerotia, here on Plains FM. Eina mana, eina reo, eina hoe fa, tena koto katoa, no mai ki tene hotaka. Speak up, Korerotia. Tune in as our guests speak up, sharing their unique and powerful experiences and opinions. And may you also be inspired to speak up when the moment's right. This is Speak Up Korerotia, and today we're talking about wheelchair sports with Sally Carlton and a range of guests who are going to be bringing really diverse perspectives to this topic. I'm really, really looking forward to this. It's something I know very little about, and I'm really looking forward to learning more myself. But also, hopefully, this will provide a bit of a platform for raising a bit more awareness about wheelchair sports. And specifically today, we're talking a bit about wheelchair rugby as well. If you could please introduce yourselves and tell us why it is that you're taking part. Rebecca, perhaps we'll start with you. My name's Rebecca Rolls. I'm the Diversity and Inclusion Manager here at Sport New Zealand. And, and part of that, Mahi, is disability. And the other key part is women and girls. But from an inclusion perspective, obviously, uh, right across the board. So that's the perspective I'm bringing from a funder and also sports sector. My sporting background has been in cricket and football. So I've played both of those at a high level and I've not had the pleasure of experiencing sport from a wheelchair, but it is definitely something Justin Mouchamp, who's in my team, promised me uh, he'll teach me. And also, I guess the other piece of the puzzle for me is looking forward into how disability in sport, recreation and play can become more inclusive. The reason I was so keen to get Sport NZ part of this conversation is to have that kind of overarching or broader framework. So I'm really glad that you're able to take part today. Happy to be here. How about Dylan? Well, uh, my name's Dylan. I'm representing on half of Halberg and Halberg Youth Council. I have recently just joined the Youth Council like as of a few days ago. So this is my first kind of official thing as Yay. a part of the Youth Council, which is pretty exciting. Um, I come from a background of uh, wheelchair rugby. I've been playing for about uh, nearly like coming up four years. So um, developing every day and getting better at the game. I think the main reason I wanted to kind of come on this podcast is to raise awareness, but also possibly get some traction around growing wheelchair sports as well, getting, you know, families and young people involved with it. Dylan, would you mind providing us just a bit of an intro to the Halberg Foundation? Halberg Foundation is a nationwide thing who provide um, funding and events for younger people around the country from ages 21 and under. And my position on the Youth Council, we're basically a group of uh, young people from 16 to 21 who are the voice for the younger people. We put our opinions forward and we basically run um, events around the country. Very cool. Thank you so much. So both Rebecca and Dylan are on Zoom, but actually here in the studio we have two other guests as well. So Cody, perhaps we'll start with you if you could introduce yourself, please. Yeah, um, my name is Cody Everson. I play wheelchair rugby for the New Zealand All Blacks and just recently got back from my first Paralympic Games, which was pretty exciting. I guess I'm just coming on here for a, a wheelchair perspective and just to talk about the game I love. 
I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your experiences in Japan. Very cool. And finally, we've got Greg. Yeah, my name is Greg Mitchell. I've been involved with wheelchair rugby for 15, 16 years now. Um, I got involved through my brother, who's in a chair, so I don't have a disability myself, but I do play. And it's just a really, really addictive sport. So I always love sharing the the joy of it and and spreading the good word of it. Um, I also sneak along with a little role as being coach of the Will Blacks. So it's been a couple of years now, and and like Cody, just come back fresh from from Tokyo. It didn't seem that long ago, but at the same time, it seems a world away from, from where we're at now. Well, this has been a very good introduction to the different perspectives that I think you'll be bringing to the show. Something that's really struck me, Greg, in what you just said, that you don't have to be wheelchair-bound to play a wheelchair sport. Not domestically. Um, so we have, here in Christchurch, we've had two or three people that are able-bodied, um, ABs we all get called, and, and we can play. And, and because it's based on a point-class system, we just become a higher point-class. We have lower-functioning people to play with us. So. Domestically we can play, but when you get international level you do need a, a genuine disability to be able to play the sport. When you say the point class, maybe if you could just explain that. So Cody here, he's got reduced arm function and limited hand function. So he's at the lower point class, so 0.5, 1 point class around there is in your midpoint classes, the 1, 5, 2, 2, 5, stronger in the, in the arms and shoulders, not too much still in the hands, uh, but yeah, it's usually up to full strength in your shoulders and arms. And the threes and three fives, the other guys that have the, the hand function, the trunk function, which is a huge advantage, being able to turn, twist, and, and the extra speed and, and hit with your chair as well is a, a bigger advantage in the sport. So they're the, the higher functioning players. And everyone adds up to eight points as a total on court when you've got four players. Interesting. Greg's a four five. Yeah, so I get able, over half yeah. the team's points when I play. When able bodies play, you're much higher, so you're a four five. So you've still got to make eight points. So Could you have less than eight points? If you want to. Yeah, you can do. It's like everything. It's a compromise on function. And the less function you have, obviously, the less ability you have to, to carry the ball and offload it easily. But smart, quality players. New Zealand, we've played with a seven and a half point lineup for many years because that was one of our best lineups with the, the quality of players we had in those roles. Great. OK, we'll talk a bit more about wheelchair rugby as we get on, I think. Um, maybe just as we introduce this topic, though, um, Rebecca, I'd really love to hear from you from Sport NZ's perspective. What's the idea around the disability plan? And I guess the, the driving force or the overarching goal behind disability inclusion in sport. I mean, I'd start off by saying, um, imagine if we didn't have to have a disability plan, if we didn't need it, everything was available and everything was equal, that would be uh, brilliant. My team and I often talk about doing ourselves out of a job. Disability plan is a really important piece of work and it's one of the strategic priorities along with women and girls and integrity um, and inclusion for, for Sport New Zealand from 20 to 24. So... In summary, it seeks to improve the well-being of disabled New Zealanders by addressing inequalities in play, active recreation and sport. So that's straight out of the strategy itself. And, and it was developed following a review in 2018, disability review and consultation with key partners, dis- disability advocate groups, how we'd be one of them, and individuals aiming to sort of improve the range and quality of physical activity on offer for disabled, particularly Tamariki and Rangatahi, to ensure they've got opportunity to be active. And also adds choice in there. There's probably some perceptions around that that choice isn't as important, but these guys will tell you also it's equally as important. So it's got 10 commitments and, and sort of sets out three outcomes, which are working in partnership to create more inclusive play, sport, active recreation system, invest to create better quality experiences and build system-wide capabilities. So those are kind of the three three main pillars of it. Really a place where disabled people can have equal opportunities to achieve their goals and aspirations, fulfilling their potential as a result of everyone working together. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's probably the the high level 
overview. Uh, that the strategy for Sport New Zealand in itself is everybody active, and, and so obviously that ties into that. And this plan and the commitments were written, so they were conversant with that. Great, and you've talked about kind of the high-level stuff. How about from you others? Why do we want to encourage people with disabilities into sport? What are the, the benefits, I suppose, that can be derived from playing sport? I think for me, uh, coming from a sporting background before my injury and having my accident and then not really knowing if sport was going to be an option and then, I guess, finding wheelchair rugby and just getting into another team environment was massive for me. I've learned so much in my time playing a sport and it's not just wheelchair rugby it's um, a lot of people find other sports that they enjoy but I just think sports are a massive part in New Zealand culture and also just um, you know your everyday life it's nice to get out and be around other people so yeah I found disability um, sport has changed my life especially wheelchair rugby. Kind of going off what Cody said this year at like a young age it brings my perspective always being like disabled all my life, um, sport gave me an outlet for to socialise. I wasn't always a world rugby player. I tried many a sports when I was younger, but the whole point of it for me at that time was basically to socialise. So I think to meet other people with disabilities is very important so you don't feel so isolated. I think the other thing too is within sport as well, you learn so much from other people and how to be included in things. It is inclusive and it's a real tagline people use, but you learn so much from other people. And the biggest thing I think I've got out of wheelchair rugby wasn't for myself. It was watching two players in our team teach each other or teach another guy how to be able to get out of bed on their own. And that has changed his life. He doesn't need someone to come around and be there every night to help him get in, into bed and out of bed in the morning to, to do that. And that's that would never have happened without the help of sport and just being in a team environment and with people wanting to help each other rather than just being there to play sport. Listening to these guys talk is just reiterates it for me quite a lot, but we, we know from data that disabled young people are less likely to participate in a range of sport and activities and that disabled adults spend 16% less time participating. And then for me, as someone who's always been active, it just breaks my heart. I feel like there should be the same opportunities for everybody um, and the benefits as these guys have just outlined the same as anyone gets you you know fun enjoyment competition health welfare everything literally every able-bodied sport there's a para sport for it as well so the opportunities are mm. endless and it's just um, finding that right sport for you but it's also you know having that confidence or having that right outlet or seeing that person doing something to want to push you to to do it as well so yeah, I think going to the Paralympics and just seeing so many different sports, so many different disabilities, it's like I know for a fact there's a lot of them in New Zealand that just haven't got out there and tried it. So, yeah, I think that's a big thing is just giving it a go um, and finding the right people. Yeah, I think that's right, isn't it? It's the right sport, but it's also that, that group that goes along yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah. You've, you know, you've got to enjoy what you're doing and also being around people that you get along with is a, is a big thing and people that are going to support you in a positive way does you know really help and it does want you to be better um, and it can drive you to higher honours and that's exactly what happened with me was just seeing you know these guys and cheers doing awesome things and it's like you know I want to be like them and it doesn't come easy like you do have to work for it but um, that's the beauty of a competitive um, nature is you know you always want to be better 
And how about in terms of actually enabling people into it? I imagine that there are a whole range of factors that come into play that make the journey into sport that much harder or that much easier. I'm thinking, for example, funding. Like, do you need special wheelchairs to play sports and are those funded? So you've talked about there's a whole range of para sports, but are they available in all the cities, that kind of stuff? What are the actual factors that can uh, really help people get into these sports? I think with a lot of things, it's the local parafeds that can really help assist people into different sports. Uh, we're, we're really lucky here in Christchurch with Parafeed Canterbury and the, a huge supporter of us um, having chairs that we can, can use to have new people get involved so you don't have to shell out 10 grand for a new chair straight up. So if you can get along, get involved with that, Everyone's got spare gloves and straps and things like that. So everyone's keen to help. They want, they want to have other people enjoy the sport and get bigger numbers to help make it more enjoyable for everyone. So for, for rugby, it's great like that. Um, and Parafit have other things as well, which go for, for tennis and basketball, as well as, I'm sure, botcher and plenty of other sports as well. I mean, you don't need too much for swimming, um, but a pair of togs and a towel. But beyond that, yeah, there's so many things they can assist with. And I'm sure the Parafits around New Zealand are the, the same as that as well. I just add to that also I think it's so important that other people in sport have a welcoming attitude and, and that they understand the importance of providing that opportunity for choice. So not just one option and and because difference, differences exist within the disabled community. So, um, you know, it's important to keep that. But also um, people facilitating to have the confidence to be involved and ask people directly, what do you need? How can we help? Um, and that sort of thing. And, and if you come from the social model as opposed to the medical one, it's society that disables by not catering for impairments. And so in order to do that, you need to understand them and you need to communicate and, and have the confidence to do that. And the parafeds have a great like power over you know what people can do. And each parafed has their kind of strength, which also can enable and disable in terms of those things. So, for example, down here in Otago, we don't have huge huge numbers we kind of have three main sports that do well and each parafet is very similar in that sense that every parafet has a sport they want to focus on and for us in Otago it's mainly the botcher and rugby so in terms of wanting to grow the sport sometimes it can be kind of harder to do it in those smaller regions so funding is um, very important um, especially for like if you compare a Parafed Auckland to a Parafed Otago, um, you'll see massive differences in just the amount of funding that two regions get, just based on size. Sorry, Dylan, just to pick up something, you said botcher. What's that? So botcher is like, um, think of a mix between bowls and the tonk. Basically, you have six different like colours, so one person would be blue, one person would be red. You basically got to try to throw your ball um, close to the jack. Now, the good thing about that sport is um, it's basically made for anyone. Like, anyone can play it. You don't have to have full hand function. There's different outlets and how you can play the game. So it's quite an inclusive sport. And I think that's what makes it so good, as I played it from a young age, because it was just so easy to kind of pick up. And it's um, a good way to kind of get involved with sport. Cool. Thanks so much. Okay, we might have our first break now. Did anyone choose a song? Oh, I did. Oh, great. But it's it's Peru, Ed Sheeran. Okay, that's fine. Ed Sheeran is okay. <laughs> Ed Sheeran's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
again, I'll be so. Can you want capture my soul? I'm again, I'll be so. Make you want one ball on ball. Better, better, I'm loose. Even better than the para. Do nothing, Josie. I'm in Josie. Won't call it for one, one Josie. I'm not playing with you, I'm not joking. My thought of mom is loaded. Me, you can fight, but I'm on body. I'm on duty, but I'm on Loki. They want do me, they want do me, they want do me, cause they want do me. When you won't want me, when you won't want me, I'm in San Francisco, Jami. When you won't want me, when you won't want me, I just flew in from Miami. Peru, para, Peru, Peru, para. I'm loose, even Peru don't be para. Pour out the bottle, I wanna level up. When I'm with you, I never get enough. So I'm not in a rush I can hear music when you're here Tonight we're rolling, party till closing Since I put the ring on the finger, it's still frozen Love in slow motion, I wanna feel you over me, yeah Something magic in your eyes, yeah Girl, I love the way you ride it And it happens every time you arrive, that's right Girl, I want you in my life, yeah There's a heaven in this right, yeah I will never leave your side, stay tonight When you won't see me, when you won't see me I'm in West London this evening Giving me the feelings, no, I'm not leaving Till I fly Atlantic speaking Peru, nah Girl, I'd rather go find somewhere quiet You glow And I get lost here in your eyes I'm again, I'll be so Girl, you just capture my soul I'm again, I'll be so Make me wanna just take you home Peru, bye Today we're talking about wheelchair sports. Do we have a sense of how many people might engage in wheelchair sports in New Zealand then? Do we have a sense of how many people are wheelchair bound and then how many people might be playing wheelchair sports? Hopefully it's a Rebecca answer question now because I've got no idea. Mm. I've had a crack at this. Um, I talked to Justin Michon and my team and he looked at me blankly. We went onto the stats website and without digging in massively deep, found the stat around 2013, which is you know nearly 10 years ago now, that 24% identified as living with a disability, which is quite different from, uh, if you think of the We, we, we the 15 movement from Tokyo, that, that's quite a, a lot more, but potentially brings in a lot more in terms of invisible and intellectual disabilities. So in terms of the playing numbers in New Zealand, I don't know if Greg, you'd, you'd know a bit more about that. Um, I mean, playing wheelchair rugby... As a, a squad for the New Zealand team, we probably choose from around up to 15. So not a huge number when you're picking a squad of 10 to travel yeah. where you've got 15 to choose from. Domestically, at the tournaments, we could have around 40 to 50 representing different regions at tournaments. And in terms of the sort of uh, amateur, I guess, people getting together on the weekend, 
why he runs amateur. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was perhaps the wrong term. Yeah, yeah. But the... I think I think that um, the twenty five other people at the tournaments. So there's usually yeah within the world blacks there's about fifteen that um, are kind of on the brink and then the others are kind of new coming in. Yeah, I think like you said about forty. 40, 50 at a tournament. Yeah, it can really vary between different tournaments yeah. depending on what the, the style of tournament is as to what the ability. So if a tournament, say, myself isn't playing and there might be other people in my region that require an able-bodied person to play um, to be able to have them have the, the, the competitive team to be part of it. So sometimes if I'm not allowed to play because of the rules, um, that team might miss out or someone like that might miss out on, on having a team. So it can restrict um, the, the people involved. Don, do you have a sense from the Harburg Foundation's perspective of young people engaging in wheelchair sports? Is it something that you see, I guess, a lot of or the majority of wheelchair-bound youth getting involved in? I wouldn't have exact numbers, but I do know it's definitely like growing. Um, uh, year after year, um, Harburg run an event called the Harburg Games, which is basically a weekend-based event. Uh, which is held up in Auckland at King's College. And it's an event that hosts a whole bunch of sports, but it's mainly for the, like, it has a competitive aspect, but it's also that kind of um, engagement and trying new sports and finding your passion. Um, But year after year, the numbers are getting bigger um, in terms of locally and um, nationally. So I do know it is growing, but I wouldn't be able to have the exact numbers, but... And are you guys seeing wheelchair rugby numbers increase as well? Um, not lately. Just well, yeah. <laughs> so that, it was, um, I think, one of the most exciting things about qualifying for the Paralympics was the potential exposure and the um, new people watching that might be inspired or go, wow, that's something that I could do. And it's, um, And that was, you know, a big, I guess that was going to be really good for the sport, but just with the whole COVID situation, we haven't been able to get together or anything like that or have competitions so right now I don't know anyone new who wants to get involved. I've heard rumours there's been a few people that have contacted around being involved and it could be volunteers to help out as well but like Cody said we haven't been able to, we had a a development camp planned soon after to try and sort of build on the momentum through Tokyo that got pulled because it was going to be in Hamilton and they'd gone into a lockdown at that stage Uh, Auckland was still in lockdown which is where a bulk of the people are as well um, yeah, we've already had to cancel our first training camp because travel restrictions well, the likelihood of travelling and having to isolate at the moment is, is pretty tough too to say well we're going to go up to a training camp for two days or three days and then stay at home for ten days if if we're on the flight with someone with COVID it makes it very tough to, to, to do that sort of thing um, but going ahead the calendar's still full for the year so it's just hoping everything can settle down a bit and be a bit more understandable and, and workable going forward also, I think wider um, disability plan means there are hopefully more opportunities now and in the future, and, and leveraging off Tokyo and even Beijing will be really key for that for para sports more broadly. And, and people start to realise as they get involved, more sports can be played. You have to think about the modif- modifications that uh, you might need to do to include someone. We've seen through the recent we had a disability inclusion fund that we launched, it was a contestable fund, and some of the uh, applications for that were really encouraging around more wider sort of power of sports, but also from a plain recreation perspective. I think what you're saying there about it's the coverage um, that power sports getting yeah. now is making the huge difference. And I mean, if you're sitting at home through lockdown last year and, and you're watching Paralympics because you couldn't do much else, all of a sudden you see a sport and think, oh, I could give that a nudge. Or you, can, or you can see someone from New Zealand already competing or, or doing well or winning medals in that. There's, there's the opportunities that are out there now, whereas you go back prior to um, 
2008 for the Beijing Olympics, Paralympics, you didn't see a lot of para sport anywhere. Um, there was a half yep. hour touch of a, a highlights package. Um, there was none of the full channel coverage and things like that. So that difference has made, I think, a big thing and definitely helped to, to open people's eyes, um, not only to be involved as as participants, but as volunteers and just to, to know that there's people out there and they're working just as hard as, as disabled athletes as, as your All Blacks and everyone else. You just touched on it then in terms of the Paralympics. I think if you can see it, you can be it. And it's so cheesy, but it's so right. And it goes for sport, it goes for career, it goes for anything. And, and now we're seeing a few more sports do some side-by-side stuff as well. And some of the national sporting organisations bringing in the para, like swimming and athletics, and you get the athletics nationals and, and swimming, they hold the championships side-by-side. Um, you just touched on the Paralympics, then sled hockey um, is, a, is a pretty cool winter sport that some people might not have seen before. Um, I know we'll probably chat about Dylan Orcott and, and Sophie Pascoe being, I guess, those those things you can see um, just to raise that awareness and, and give that coverage. So I guess you touched on Dylan Orcott and Sophie Pascoe. I'd be really keen to hear what you think the impact of really high-profile disabled sports people is. I mean, I think I just sort of touched on it then. It's so important for people to have role models, but I see those two you know, as role models for anybody Dylan Alcott's someone who, you know, he's had success for so long now um, and he's been awarded Australian Order of Merit, but he is also someone who's been successful for a, a long time and played wheelchair basketball, um, he's written a book, and he's, to me, someone who projects to me that he expects inclusion and assumes that as opposed to sort of waiting to be invited in, and I think it's such so um, inspirational for young people. I think part of that as well is you can start to see people like that, they're actually building their career out of sport with a disability, whereas in the past there was just never ever chance that you were going to consider that sort of thing. And and people that are talented, they don't just walk around. They they have all sorts of different disabilities and things like that. So to see people like that paving the way for others to, to look at making a career out of it or knowing that it at least can, can pay its way um, in different areas, is it gives a lot more hope to people to take up that and really chase their dreams. Yeah, I think social media has got a big part of that too. A lot of everyone's on their phones these days and seeing what they're up to you know seeing the way they train or and showing them little glimpses of their lives is is pretty cool so i'm sure a lot of people would see what they're up to on social media and go oh wow like that looks really cool to seeing the way they train or something so um yeah yeah they're, they're two massive um influences in the disabled community they they've done some pretty epic things to be honest in terms of like idols and stuff, you know, every kid has that idol in terms of like the Richie McCaws, the Iron Man Dykes, those sort of things. So for kids in wheelchairs to have someone they can look up to um, is definitely quite cool. I heard um, I'm your idol, Dylan. Um, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I'm not even kidding. Like in terms of like the world backs and stuff, like anything I can learn from the world backs perspective or just anyone in general, I always pick up and. I'm always like looking at, you know, the people who do it best at their game and, you know, trying to work on things, which is definitely, you know, what it should be. Very inspiring, guys. Shall we have that song then? Quite a good motivational song. It's uh, Rise Up by 660. Cool. Thanks, Ellen.
with Greg Mitchell, Cody Everson, Rebecca Rolls and Dylan Lloyd talking about wheelchair sports. I'd really like to think a wee bit more about wheelchair rugby and specifically the wheel blacks now. For somebody who doesn't know too much about it, how would you describe the differences between wheelchair rugby and rugby that's not played in a wheelchair? What are the main differences there? I'll let the coach do that. Oh, you always dodge out of that one. Um, They're nothing alike, to be honest. In the past, I've described wheelchair rugby as a cross between American football, ice hockey and basketball. Play on a basketball court, uh, it's inside, nice and hard floor, so you're nice and fast on the chairs. You've got 40 seconds to score your goals. You've got 12 seconds once the ball's in from the baseline to get over halfway. You've got to bounce it every 10 seconds or pass it. And once the whistle goes, you can smash anyone as hard as you want. Um, and to the point, quite often part of the, the plan is we've seen some players out there literally just smash people out of their chairs because it's a way of getting a turnover. Um, yeah, you get one point per try. Generally, it's similar to netball in the fact that you score goal for goal. So some games, when you get to the really intense like top games, they can be only one or two turnovers in a game. And I think New Zealand, when we lost in the final of the World Champs, we turned the ball over once and lost by three because the other team scored last each quarter to, to win win the game. So, yeah, there's not a lot of turnovers at times in the in the really peak, peak parts of it. But, yeah, the other, other games, you can certainly see a lot of free-flowing football. It's a game that you've got to see. 
it's like you can explain so much, but until you actually see it in person, it can be quite confusing to hear. It's fast, it's fun, uh, it's competitive, and you know you have a good time getting smashed around. So, yeah. You mentioned it's a game that you should really see. How would you suggest people see it, especially now that we're a bit homebound? Yeah, well, so we usually have about three to four tournaments a year. There's actually one coming up in Dunedin um, that Dylan can probably touch on a bit more. Yeah, so that's that's the main uh, main times to come and see games, and we usually um, chuck it up on social media, your Facebooks and Instagrams and things like that. So, um, yeah, head over to the Will Blacks and chuck them a follow. But, um, yeah, Dylan, if you want to touch on the next coming up one. So the Bass tournament is more of a, I guess, social tournament in terms of uh, invitational sort of thing. So players come along and you get basically randomly drafted into teams. So it's normally a good way to start the year, catch up with, you know, the people that you see every year and also get to know a few people as well because that was the first tournament I ever went to. It was kind of my first taster as a little 15-year-old boy um, playing the game. So it's also a good learning experience to learn from the more experienced players. And if you are in Dunedin and you want to come check it out, it will be uh, in the Eager Centre on the 19th and 20th. But of course, if we are under rear traffic light, there will be no spectators. So I probably have to add that one in. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Because sure. I, I think I know the answer, but can can it be mixed? Yeah. yeah. Women as well? Yeah. Women's, their usual point grade, if they're like a two-pointer, they get moved down to a 1.5. So a lot of teams have women in there and they drop half a point, which uh, can be quite... Oh, how do you say it? It's quite uh, tactical. Quite tactical. Yeah, you can get a lot um, more function on court at the same time if you can have someone with allowing you the extra half a point between the other three players. Yeah, Great Britain done it really well and they ended up winning gold at the last Paralympics. So, yeah, very tactical. That's quite forward thinking. There's no men's and women's. It's just, it just is. And, uh, yeah, you just use it tactically. Yeah, it's it's cool. And, oh, some of the girls in the world, eh, they, they can hit hard. Um, <laughs> in New Zealand, we've got quite a good um, range of female players. Myra Mi Marshall, she's played in the World Blacks for many years. She hasn't been available for the last couple with through health issues. But, yeah, she's been multiple times winning best in class um, and that's a male and female point class thing um, she's won that multiple times at different events and possibly even the world champs one year I really like the idea of it being mixed and I like Rebecca what you said it's very forward thinking definitely how about in terms of the practical considerations uh, I imagine that with all the bashing that's going on you might need some kind of guards for the legs yeah, so I actually uh, work at a wheelchair company, Marrow's Wheelchairs, and we build wheelchairs from everyday wheelchairs to sports chairs, actually any wheelchair sport we build. And rugby chairs are one of our biggest sellers because um, it's one of the biggest sports. And you can get two types of chairs, aluminium or titanium. And yeah, they do they do get a bit of a beating. So often uh, we've, we travel with a mechanic who is there to fix anything that breaks or anything like that. Sometimes there's welders on site, so in case you get a crack or anything in your chair, you need it welded up. So it's not a cheap sport to play when there's not a whole lot of funding around, so you do rely heavily on good equipment the first time. I think the thing with the equipment, it's all custom-made for rugby. Um, It's, I think, aircraft-grade aluminium. Um, And when you've got someone who's, I don't know, 80 to 100 kilos, 
literally jogging or running full speed into someone who's at 80 or 100 kilos, there's a heck of a crash in there and the chairs, they stand up to it, but you're looking at every two to three years quite often having to replace them. And say so 15, 16 years I've played, I've destroyed a few. And yeah, when they're, they're expensive, you've, you've got to find a way to, to keep funding that. And I mean, tyre-wise, you can sometimes pop through 15, 20 tyres as a team in a game. So your poor mechanic on the sidelines doing a lot of work to, to keep everyone running. Yeah, like Craig said, the chairs are all custom made for you, so you are quite barricaded, like into the chair. So other chairs, they're not going to smash your legs or anything like that. It's specifically made for you, which is another good thing for for safety reasons, I guess. You mentioned that funding is an issue, and you also mentioned that it's quite expensive with these chairs. You've also mentioned earlier on that, that there are parafeds that assist people with these sorts of costs, but I guess is funding a barrier, and what are some of the other barriers for people getting involved? I think with every sport there's a, there's a barrier of funding. Um, there's only so many dollars in the pot to go around, and when you start, let's say, have a cheer that's worth $10,000, that, that could cover a whole team for a whole or a whole club for a year, um, and you're just talking one person for, to push around on a basketball court. So, yeah, it makes a, a big difference when you can, can get that, that extra funding, but if, like down in Dunedin, they've got multiple players starting the game, they're getting three, four cheers, it could be $50,000 a year just towards new players um, getting custom-made chairs. So it does does make a big difference. There's a lot of different trusts and foundations and things you can apply to, but you, you've got to factor in as well, travel costs for tournaments as well, and gym hire every week. As I say, there's a lot of dollars involved with everything, and it's not just wheelchair rugby, it's every sport. So it's being mindful and being smart with your resources. What are the kind of skills that you need, or the, the passions? What got you into it in the first place? I, I, was, I was kind of lucky in a way that I got sort of dragged along by my brother his team was short one day and he's got cerebral palsy always been in a chair um, from a young age so I've played in his chair and pushed it around I've got ball skills so that was kind of me pretty well sorted from the start and it was easy to to get in and if you've got any sort of ball skills it's great if you don't it doesn't matter there's there's roles for different people within the game as well Um, some of the low point is they literally will not touch the ball in the whole game but they're some of the most important players to have on court because they can free up all the, the glory boys out there scoring the points um, and make them look so much better than they are and, and save a lot of the, the huffing and puffing at the end of it as well. So yeah, the, being involved like that and being a, getting into it that way was, was really good for me. And as I say, I feel a bit of a cheat at times because I can get up and walk away from it all. But at the same time, it's, I've, I've stopped playing my own sports over the years just purely for the enjoyment factor and the, the team environment that it's been, been a part of. For me, um, finding um, Walter Abbey was kind of because of Halberg. They were running, I guess, a, a demonstration at the time, and it was basically very simple. You just had to weigh through the cones and catch the ball. And then um, Cameron Leslie, who was a para swimmer as well as a world black, um, was tackling you at the other end. And I think as soon as, like, a few tackles, I was like, damn, this is a cool sport. For me also, like, rugby being a huge part of my life, you know, always wanting to play rugby but of course it's never going to happen uh ultra rugby is my outlet to get that sort of i guess rugby experience but uh yeah yeah and i guess for me uh i grew up playing sports and i i was playing rugby when i had my accident and that's uh, why i'm in a wheelchair so it was just for me once i had that accident and getting into hospital i think it was literally the first three three or so weeks I had someone coming in asking me if I know about wheelchair rugby and at that point I still thought I was going to walk um, and play normal rugby again and then eventually that kind of went away and I seen wheelchair rugby and I was like wow this is this is a pretty cool sport and 
for me it was all about getting back involved with the team um, I'd always been around people playing sports so getting back into that environment was was massive for me um, and then playing for your regional team Canterbury and then eventually getting the opportunity to to go to a well black camp and then potentially make that team and uh, travel the world and play against international teams it was kind of like the dream was always to play top rugby but now the the new dream is to to represent your country in um, wheelchair rugby and that was massive for me and when I got that opportunity I definitely um, took it. So someone came to you and asked if you had heard about it? Yes, Sholto Taylor who's actually, he was actually a gold medal winning wheelchair rugby player in Athens I believe in 2004 so and he was still in the squad at that time so he was a um, massive benefactor for me and also a massive support for me while I was in hospital. Um, he's a life coach so he kind of supports you through your stay in build. I stayed there about six months. Yeah, he was he was massive for me, and just um, that's how I got into wheelchair rugby and, and learned about it, and met a whole bunch of other people with disabilities. Really, is it more or less fifty fifty people who have had disabilities for their whole lives versus people who have had accidents playing it, or is it just anyone they get into at different points in their lives? It changes over the years. At the moment, it's probably more people with spinal injuries, but we try and claim any amputee we can because that seems to be like the, internationally that's where, where it's all at. If you can find an amputee, you, you've, you've made a, a big difference because of the extra trunk function they have. Um, but, yeah, these days there's a, a lot of people uh, having... There's been some really terrible words. I can't even use some of them now because descriptions of people, but you do, you do get a lot of people come along with some very bizarre disabilities from different teams and... It's, it just fits their mould and their, their, their skill set, which is, is the big part of it. I think it's really cool, isn't it, that it can be altered, I guess, to, to fit that person? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like everyone, like when it comes to wheelchair rugby, like everyone's different, like even not even just wheelchair rugby, any like parasport, every single person's different. Within the World Black Squad, we're all different and we're all an asset because we've got different functions that work better than others and you know like when you bring it all together it, it works and it is quite cool to see you know some people go like do something it's like, oh wow like you should not be able to do that but that's impressive so it is pretty cool and it makes you kind of want to try and do it. It is like a real fruit salad of disability that sort of goes together and mixes and matches to, to make it all work. Just one final question then for this segment, which is around the idea of amateur and professional sports. So wheelchair rugby, the Wheel Blacks, is not a professional team, even though you are on the international stage representing Aotearoa. I'd be really keen to hear, and Rebecca, you may have something to add here as well, around the idea or the differences between amateur and professional and what that might mean in terms of the coverage and the funding and all these things we've been talking about so far. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a it's a really lifelong question, I think. And as we, if I can speak a little bit from a woman in sport perspective, and we're just starting to see now the benefits of actually investing in the sport. I think for too many years, and, and um, parasport was no different, uh, people have been waiting to see a, some sort of value or something to hang their hat on that means oh, I can get something out of the sport, but it actually works the other way around. It's, it, you, you need to invest in the sport to generate the product, and then the rest will come in terms of, participants, um, you know, commercial opportunities and, and professionalism. Um, and and it's, it is so different. Like in amateur sports, men, women, non-binary, they have 
challenges you have to work for a start so you've just got to balance everything in and around and, and like I was never paid to play sports so I had to have a career at the same time and, and that's a completely different lifestyle to a professional athlete and um, the trade trade off being potentially that professional athlete navigates a completely different world as well like you you're pretty much public property um you're all over social media and that can be its own corrosive disease these days you know, that can be really really problematic so there's a bit of a trade-off in between but I think what's pleasing lately is people are starting to see the value of it in the commercial these opportunities and and um, I think Greg earlier touched on Sophie Pascal how she's you know made a career out of what she's got at and and Don Alcott's another example and so I think we're getting there. It's taken too long. But what I do know is that there's so much sitting there that has so much value that I think that it will happen naturally. I think within a lot of sport, it is, yeah, like I said earlier, there's a lot of times where you, there's just not enough money to go around. There's only so much in the mm-hmm. TV dollars that's going to sponsor things. And I mean, business is hard to find people that have got spare money these days with the likes of COVID. But we still see it with international teams. Um, there's professional teams out there. Um, there's coaches for the Japanese team. He's Canadian. Um, he flies over to Japan to coach them. The Japanese players, the Australian players, the GB players, they're all paid. Some of them paid pretty well too. I was cringing when I heard what the Canadian coach was getting paid when I was a volunteer. And you can see those really top elite teams, they have paid roles within their team, um, whether it's the paid sports psychologist. We're amaz- amazingly lucky with our sports site comes on board and gets involved and gives us time for free. And we, we have so many people like that. Our strength and conditioning coach, again, gives us time for free. Myself, I, I volunteered. I, I know leading into Tokyo, I was doing a, the best part of 30 to 40 hours a week on rugby stuff on top of a 40-hour-a-week job and having a young family. There's only so much you can do and so long you can do it for. All the players, I think, are working within the team. So you're trying to fit people's programs to what time they have. And, and you always want more from the players to be able to do that extra bit, but you just can't fit it all in at times. And if you do go to a professional thing, there's no limit because everyone wants more. If you get paid, everyone wants more money. It's every sport's the same. So there'll never be a perfect situation for anything. But at the same time, if you can get that where people can cut back on some of their commitments to work and be able to put more quality time into their training rather than fitting it around their work and, and other commitments, it could, could make a big difference to things going forward. And as I say, the, the three of the top four teams are professional teams effectively um, at the moment. And they are that step ahead of where the rest of the teams are at. We're going to think about, I guess, the future of disability sports as we currently see it. But NZ's Disability Planner Disability Review. So the review came out with findings of the future of disability in the sport and active recreation sector. So I talk about it from a play, active rec and sport. That's what Sport New Zealand uh, covers off. Because here we're talking about wheelchair rugby. But I think there's some... Um, or wheelchair sports, but I actually think it's, it's quite close together in the disability sports sector. So uh, as the guys have said, everyone's an amateur, but the pathways are pretty condensed. So so it's, it's exciting from that perspective. Uh, but one of the things that came out of the plan was a scoping project to understand the, the roles and responsibilities of the different agencies and, and highlight gaps and opportunities. What came out of that was sort of three key areas that Sport New Zealand are concentrating on as we move through the plan. Those are leadership. So we heard a lot from the sector that sport, they want Sport New Zealand to lead the disability sport and recreation sector, um, but also help help grow leaders and empower uh, the partners and, and the power feds, MDSOs, that, that sort of thing, to, to be able to lead themselves. Gaps, like identifying the gaps in the provision of opportunities. So that's been a, a key focus of the Disability Inclusion Fund is, is some of the criteria is bring us applications that bring new stuff to the table, like uh, they're innovative, or you've demonstrated how it would reach an area that isn't currently been reached, or so that's more inclusive. 
and, and get creative around that. And then also just looking at duplication. I think like any system, there's there's opportunity to reduce duplication and, and make sure that if there are the same things um, being provided, that there's, a, there's enough efficiency across the board so that you're maximising the reach. And so you're not kind of losing, losing out on someone being able to access an opportunity because you're sort of doubling up. Somewhere. Those are the, the broader things. And, and the other thing that's sort of crept in, of course, in the meantime is COVID and what we're really aware of through some recent data that we've, well, we, we probably knew it anyway, but data's confirmed it is that minorities are really disproportionately affected through COVID and, and can miss out on, on much, much more. So disability sports, like all sports, need to sort of make sure that the general guidelines that have been issued works for them and, and you know, that they access help if they need to, to make sure what they can deliver is, is safe. We touched earlier on, on some of the limitations and the problems that creates. So it is a real challenge. So we're looking to support people through that. And and also what we've seen is there's much more in, I guess, the shift from organised sport and, and clubs into sort of what we call out-the-door stuff, like so much more outdoors and, and, and more kind of less formal stuff. So just working through that with the disability sector to understand what it means and what's possible. Speaking of COVID, so we've been trying to put together a disability hui, which was first set in for October, then it was moved to November, then it was in February, and we've had to push it out each time. So it'll be hopefully in October, November this year, where we get a lot of participants in the sector to come and um, come and disconnect and meet as part of that leadership pillar of, of the disability plan. Um, they've got some really good speakers coming along to that. Dame Sophie Pascoe is one of them. We've got a physio coming in, Dwayne Cowell, who's on our board. So just some real, uh, I guess, a real mix of voices that, that we can bring together. So I guess in summary, you just really want to create that choice and, and more opportunities. Wheelchair sports included, um, even increase the number of wheelchair sports, that would be quite cool. And understanding that disability sport has some of the same barriers that normal sport does in terms of volunteers and, and, and that sort of thing, but really concentrate on building those numbers and creating that confidence I talked about earlier so that people can work in this space and, and have the confidence to do so. Yeah, and also just that welcoming attitude because, you know, being a, a young girl growing up playing a male-dominated sport, I certainly encountered the opposite of a welcoming attitude quite a lot. So I can understand how how that really impacts on someone's desire to participate. So moving that forward in, in times to come as well. So sorry, a really long-winded way of saying that. Looking forward to the future, um, and like I said before, maybe doing us out of a job. Anybody else? What are you hoping to see as we move forward? What I, I want to see, and it's something I've sort of started doing a little bit with Cody at times, is is just um, it is a bit more in the schools um, and seeing like we've taken the parapet in Canterbury, have a trailer full of chairs, and I've been to my kids' school a couple of times. Generally, it's seen as if you're in a wheelchair, you've got to be careful and softly, softly approach, and they jump in and start smashing each other. It's the greatest thing ever. So to see them and to be able to interact with people, and and, and one day I think there was just over 200 kids had to go in a wheelchair. Um, you don't get that chance at home generally. So to be able to do that and do more of that, I think, is, is a really key thing because it takes away some of the, the standoff behaviours of people because they've seen what it's like, they've been involved in it, they've, they've met people that are in wheelchairs, they're not the scary taboo thing in the corner anymore, they're, they're becoming just a genuine part of society. And again, the, the media coverage, coverage of stuff is helping with that, so it's becoming a, a more mainstream thing, which yeah doesn't keep it as that isolated, separated sort of situation. So to me, that's something I'd... I'm keen to be, be more involved with and do a lot more of in the future because I know how much my kids have loved it. The teachers that have been involved with it have loved it as well. And I mean, my boy, he's, he's 11 and he's, he's adamant he's going to play World Rugby this season for Canterbury. 
So, yeah, he's keen as mustard. So, Stewie, finally, there's going to be someone smaller than you, mate, out there. I was just about to say that. I was yeah. like, yes, I'm not going to be the smallest person. Oh, on. Yeah. But that's the thing. It, there's things like that, which it's it's great to see the involvement and just this pure enjoyment that people get from being involved in, in that sort of thing, which is so different, but, yeah, so enjoyable at the same time. And, again, sport is such a good medium to break down some of those barriers. It's a real leveller as well. You put someone in a wheelchair, and if you've never been in it, mm-hmm. you can get smoked by someone who's in it all the time. Talking about bringing it to schools, um, I did a similar thing um, in year 13. I just finished school last year, and you do the whole, like, teachers versus students sports week sort of thing. And my sport developer wanted to add something that I wanted to do, so I organised a um, teachers versus students World Rugby game. And as Greg was saying, as, like, a leveller, it was pretty cool to actually be competitive with... um, like my schoolmates and stuff because growing up I've never actually like really played with any of my friends obviously in sports so it gave me a cool opportunity to show off what I love to the school as well as the teachers and the students because I think getting that exposure is what really grows any sport any activity. Where I want to go and where I see um, is I want to compete with those top teams in the world like I want to be able to you know, get out in New Zealand again and play international rugby and just, you know, after finishing Paralympics and getting home was kind of like, oh man, like I want to improve, I want to get better, I want the team to get better, I want new people to get involved to, you know, help us get better. So that's um, a big drive now is, is, you know, being one of the best teams in the world. That's what I want. In terms of like the coverage and stuff, having like the Paralympics on TV, I think myself, it was kind of a similar thing watching all these teams do it. It kind of gave me more drive, you know, to, you know, one day put on that black jersey and you know, do what, you know, Cody and the rest of the boys were doing. It definitely gives me that goal. And that's definitely what I want to see myself doing for the future. I want you training every day, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> Seven days a I'm, week. I've been going to the gym regularly. Oh, oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Just a final question then. We've spoken quite a bit about how COVID has impacted everything, but in this case, particularly wheelchair sports. We've also touched on how it might be a an enabler as well. Greg, you mentioned people sitting at home during the lockdown with not much to do other than watch TV and, and Paralympics being aired at that particular time. Do you see any other potential opportunities in where we are at the moment? I'd like to say a lot of opportunities, but I feel like there's a lot more barriers at the moment. Mm. Um, with wheelchair rugby particularly, we've got a lot of people that are immune and respiratory compromised. Yeah. We were probably the strictest of countries with the rules and regulations in Tokyo. Within the New Zealand team, the rugby team was by far the strictest rules. We were disinfecting, sanitising everything on the plane, the, the aisle chairs, the seats, the trays, the windows, the 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 pocket in front of you, everything like that. We had all sorts of rules. It was, yeah. The guys got sick of me at times, bagging them for things, but the goal was to get there, get home, get safe, and do what we did. And it's it's just trying to make it a practical thing going forward. So it's it's tough when you're trying to clean everything down to that degree because you know that you got into MIQ, the top of the surface was clean, but the bottom of the table wasn't. Um, things <laughs> like that. You, there's a lot more to it than just yeah, wiping the top surface. And when you've got people that are at risk like that, you do have to go that extra mile and. Um, as I say, we've already cancelled one thing this year um, just for the fact that we're gonna, we'll do something online. And one of the main topics is around how we're going to do with things with COVID and what, what, as a team, we can set as a realistic measure to, to make sure we can stay safe amongst it. 
So yeah, I'd love to say there's a lot of opportunities, but at the moment it does seem to be more barriers. Potentially one opportunity is um, with the, the lack of um, spectators being allowed at events, um, whether we can get some more TV coverage. We had Sky Sport cover the Asia Oceania Championships in Auckland previously. That was that was phenomenal. Quite bizarre seeing yourself on TV. I'm not quite used to that one, that's for sure. But at the same time, it's it is a, a chance to get it around. And if we can spread that again, it's just that snowball effect of growing awareness. Um, people with a disability being able to involved in it, they might not necessarily be able to be at that level. I mean, like myself, I can't play that level, but I still love the game and be a part of it. So it's a, the big big growth opportunity still. And I, I sort of touched on COVID in the last spiel about the future, but I guess something I'd reflect on from a wider sector perspective is that, first of all, no, no one really knows what's going to happen this year. No one, no one really knows. I think it's, I'll stop there. It's as simple as that. And we're not going to be able to sort of force things back to how they were. So it'll be a case of people understanding the environment, what those limitations and barriers are that, that we just described and adapting to it and, and creating opportunities or, or choices out of that and, and that might sound a bit trite because I, I understand the barriers are completely different for disabled sport but yeah I guess with everything sometimes that that organic evolution has to happen just for people to be able to get those benefits we talked about earlier around that inclusion that the social aspect the welfare the health that kind of thing so and make sure people stay okay until we can go back to normal whatever that looks like I think you say that normal is not really an old normal anymore it's going to be the new normal nah. just as we finish up then any final thoughts you would like to add in get into a para sport that's an yeah. idea <laughs> yeah, there's the outlets um you know all around the country all you, you gotta do is google your local region add parafit and there'll be a parafit network close by you know talk to your local harbour about advisors there's outlets for everyone and just just give everything a go because you never know what your passion might be and as i say like i tried you know three sports before finding rugby so you know don't give up on your first attempt and i guess just keep trying because eventually something will happen i think a big part of it is just find something you enjoy be active and and have fun and that's the, the key of everything isn't it just enjoy what you're doing while you're out there i'd like to say tena koto thank you so much everybody this has been such a really heartwarming show yeah with any luck uh we can turn the circumstances that we have at the moment which are challenging for everybody into some positives as well and the wheel blacks will be overseas representing new zealand soon enough we can only hope thank you so much it's been great oh thanks for having us yeah thank you it's been good